Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. I have a question for you, church. Why is change important? Now you don't have to answer that because I just want you to think about that. Why is change important? Why do we avoid it? Even when it means experiencing much more pain than staying stuck. Writer Anne Lamott explains, and I quote, if we stay where we are, where we're stuck, where we're comfortable and safe, we die there. If you want to know only what you already know, you're dying. When nothing new can get in, that's death. When oxygen can't find a way in, you die. But new is scary. And new can be disappointing and confusing. We had all this figured out, and now we don't. Unquote. Now, I share this with you because I believe many people are really fearful of change. Now, I know that we like change, but some of us are fearful of major change. In other words, we'll change our hair, we might change our style, we might change a few things here and there, but for the most part, your house is exactly how your house is. It's hard to change. The couch has been in the same place for as long as you can remember. And okay, so you move a couch, that's not really change, you just sometimes go sit in the wrong place. But you're so used to change that if you ever go to a hotel and you wake up half groggy, you don't know where the restroom is, do you? Because you think it's, oh, that's how it is in my house, it's over this way. But we have such liberty when we understand, especially from our text, Four things through the Word of God that can literally change our lives, or should change our lives. Now, before we jump into this, let me uh, very quickly remind you what we talked about so far. In our text, the scene is going to change dramatically. You understand that. Jesus had just finished warning us, starting in chapter 24 and 25, we spent um, just a great time looking at the rapture of the church. Now, just kind of keep this in mind, okay? I want to I take a moment and I want to talk about the rapture because Jesus talked about it. He talked about the tribulation. He talked about the second coming and all that's happening. But I want to remind you, I want to remind you that the Lord Jesus can come at any time, Okay? He could literally fulfill the Feast of Trumpets right now and come any time now. Now, here's the thing. The actual feast, Rosh Hashanah, is going to start in literally about 20 minutes in Israel. They're about eight hours ahead of us, so just kind of keep this in mind. So we may not get done with the sermon. I don't want anybody to clap. But it would be a good thing if the Lord came. But it would be a bad thing if you're here today and you're not right with God. It would be a bad thing if you're going, um, I'm questioning my salvation. I don't want to be left behind. You go, well, Ben, what if he doesn't come? Well, we would know that the Feast of Trumpets happens between now at 1057 and early about 12 on Tuesday, about 12 Central Standard Time, 12-ish. You go, well, what happens if he doesn't come? Then he may come on Wednesday or Thursday or Friday. You see, the Lord took the two chapters and he said, I want you to be ready. I want you to watch and be ready. I want you to watch and be ready. And once again, like 2006 and 2017, people look to the stars and they're all lined up and it's a year of jubilee, so the Lord could actually come. We have to be ready. We have to be ready. You go, what does that mean for our lives? Enjoy. Come out this afternoon. Fellowship. Have some food. 
talk to somebody, play some games, laugh, and just have a great time. Why? Because you don't know. You go, well, what happens if the Lord doesn't come? You could die. If we're being honest, we could take our final breath here on earth. The rest of us will mourn for you, and you could be with Jesus. And I don't want my last few minutes to be bum, bummer. You know what I mean? I don't want my last few days on earth to be, well, I, he was always grumpy. <laughs> I want my last few days, whatever it might be, my last few moments to be what the Lord says, full of grace and mercy and compassion and love. We get that through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, guys, has just warned us. He's talked about the rapture. That could happen. He's talked about the beginning of the tribulation. He's talked about the second coming of Jesus and what you and I are supposed to be doing while we wait. And he says, do business, occupy. We've got to do ministry. We've got to tell others about the Lord. And two weeks ago, we talked about the sheep and the goat's judgment. And if you remember, we talked about the upcoming wars and battles and the judgments to follow. If you're taking note, and by way of reminder, we have what's next, Ezekiel 38 and 39 war happening right now. You go, it's happening? Well, that's supposed to happen next. And it it correlates with what we call the Bema Seat judgment. The Bema Seat judgment. That's the reward ceremony for the Christians. And the Lord's going to look at our heart and he's going to say, I'm going to reward you if you have the right motives for what I've called you to do. But here going on earth, you have have Russia invading right Israel with the coalition of Iran and Turkey and a lot of other ones, and they're coming in, and that's happening right now. So we see that on the horizon. You go, well, Ben, what if the Lord doesn't come back this weekend? It could come back next weekend. We just don't know where we fit in the Ezekiel War. Okay? And again, we see that's going to happen. Then we talked about the War of Megiddo. Okay? This is at the end of the seven-year tribulation. Now, I want you to think for just a moment, guys, because it's very, it's very soberly what we need to think about. You go, what's that? Tribulation, what the world is going to look like after seven years of God's judgment. We've read it in Revelation, and as he pours out the bowls and the seals, and it, the, the world is not going to look what you think it looks like. You get that, right? I mean, it's going to be, it, I don't, wow. And yet, there's going to be a group of men, a group of people that want to go battle against God in the Valley of Megiddo. We call it the Battle of Armageddon. This is after, and I can imagine that. I could not imagine a group, well, wait a minute, I think I could imagine a group of people so angry at God, don't know him, that they shake their fist and want to go to war with him. You and I, we love God. You and I, we would never want to uh, fight against God, but there are a group of people that will do that. There are a group of people who don't know my Jesus, and they'll line up. You go, well, what, 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 uh, what, what judgment is that? Well, remember, we talked just about the sheep and the goats. At the end of seven years, he's going to say, okay, here are the sheep, here are the goats. And then there's one more battle. After a thousand years, it's the final battle. And after a thousand years of Christ reigning, you and I reigning, we will see the great white throne battle, the great white throne judgment, okay? That is the one thing that you and I want to avoid at all costs. How do I get to the great white throne judgment? You don't believe in the Lord. You don't submit your life and you don't. And you're not saved. You're not saved. Let me tell you something that I believe that the enemy is doing in these last days. You guys ready? He's getting and he's trying to question our salvation. Are you really saved? And he'll do that. So he wants to create doubt. Because we are saved, but he wants us to live in fear. He wants us to live in that like, oh, I don't know. And so what we do is we go, well, my, sal- my salvation is based on, I'm going to cross my fingers and I'm going to hope. Ben, don't talk about, people will tell me, right? don't talk about, so don't talk about the rapture. Don't talk about what well, the Antichrist, all this. And I just, I just hope, I hope. And if you don't know this, I'm crossing my toes too. And we, but, but that's not what God wants us to do because that's not how we're t- supposed to live. We, the, the book of 1 John gives us the assurance of salvation and how we're supposed to just wait 
and wonder and just excited and be like, wow. But there's going to be a group of people, church, that uh, will end up at the great white throne judgment. And I can tell you what it's going to be like. The Lord's going to look at them and he's going to say, he's going to open the book of life and he's going to look down and he's going to go, I can't find your name. What do you think at that moment? Wait, 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 Lord, 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 Lord. Oh, oh uh, but I did good. I gave, I did this and I, I went to that church one time and, and, and I'm sorry, I, I just, I don't see you. I don't see your name. Tell me your name again. I think if you get to the great white throne judgment, you'll know. It's not going to be like, ah, I think you're going to go. You see, the Bible says that there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I think you're going to have a group of people going, oh, Lord, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. I didn't mean it. I don't know what I was doing. And they're going to be weeping with everything that's in them. And I think it's going to be ugly cry. But you're also going to have those gnashing of teeth, and these are the ones that are going to, no matter what, they're in the great wine throw judgment, and they're going to be angry at God. Awful angry. And that gnashing of teeth. Ugh. That's what we talked about. So this morning, this morning, we, we say goodbye to the future. And we go back to the past to study the final days of the life of Jesus. In chapters 26 through 28, if you're taking note, they're going to deal with the last few days of the life of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. And Matthew gives purpose and meaning to the text. So here's what I want to do. Let's read together, guys. I want us to read 1 through 16. We're just going to read it, and then we'll come back and unpack it, okay? We'll unpack it very clearly. In Matthew 26, 1 through 16, Matthew writes, And it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings, that he said to his disciples, You know, after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up and be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribes, the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by tickery by trickery, and kill him. And they said, No, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon a leper, the woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why is this waste? For the fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever, whenever this gospel is preached to the whole world, what the woman has done will be told as a memorial to her. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, why are you, what are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? For they counted out 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Your attention, please. You can see that if reading verses 1 through 16, it doesn't really fit chronologically. It's not like, it's like he's talking about this, and then he goes into this, and he goes into that. Well, when I was on the plane... And I was headed to Sioux Falls, South Dakota. I was reading the text for today, and I did notice. I go, wait a minute, it's not in any chronological order. But I believe Matthew wanted to give us more information before we jumped into the final days. And you can fill in the pieces, if you will, through the other Gospels. But what I love is, is, is these are my notes on the airplane. As I'm, as I'm studying, these are my notes of what the Lord was talking. And I just love how he does that. And I, it's always just a great reminder. Here I am writing on the napkin as we fly to South Dakota. What did the Lord say to you? Well, in verses 1 through 16, um, we can put them in any order. But next week, we're going to jump back into the final week of Jesus. But for today, I want to show you four things that jumped out of the text that can and should change our lives. Can I get an Amen. The first thing, jot this down. Jesus died to save me from myself and eternal judgment. Jot that down. That's the very first thing. Jesus died to save me 
from what? Myself and eternal judgment. You guys with me? Let's look at verses 1 and 2 again. Let me show you what jumped out. It says, now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings. So we were talking about all the sayings. If you're new to Calvary or you're watching online, we go verse by verse by verse by verse by verse. And so it takes a little bit of work to kind of go, oh, wait a minute, this doesn't fit the flow. So now we've got to pull it out and come back. So he finished all of what we talked about. He looks at his disciples and he says this to him. Notice the quotations in verse 2. You know that after two days is the Passover. And they're probably going, yeah, yeah. He says, and the Son of Man will be delivered up and crucified. Now, you've got to understand, those words to the disciples were like fingernails on a chalkboard. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out, Lord, time out. Well, Jesus just told them that he was going to be handed over and crucified and crucified. So our text says he looks at disciples, couple of days, guess what? I'm going to be hanging on a cross and I'm going to be put to death. Now, I could imagine the shock on their faces. And you go, why? Why? Because they misunderstood who the Meshach or the Messiah was. You you get that, right? They misunderstood. You go, I'm not sure I'm, I'm with you. Do you remember, as they were coming to the Passover, the disciples and the entourage and all the people, they came and they were saying, let's go, because they were expecting Jesus to take over and rule and reign and and stamp out Rome. They were saying, that's our guy. That's our guy. Down with the government. That's our guy. Let's go, Jesus. And Jesus says, okay, let's, let's go for the Passover. This is it. This is it. And so what happens is, again, Jesus just said, hey, guess what, guys? Hey, hey, listen, listen, hey, um, in a few days, I'm going to be on the cross. And they go. And they're confused. Why? Because they misunderstood who Jesus was. Can I get your attention for just a moment? I think that happens in our lives at times. When we really misunderstand who Jesus is and his purpose in our lives, that's when we get frustrated. Well, I thought God wanted. Well, I thought Jesus. I'm not sure. And then we sort of walk away from him. Are you kidding me? How do I know that? Because the disciples will do the same thing. When the rubber meets the road and the Romans come to get him, what happens? They bolt. And could you imagine the conversation? I really thought. I thought he was going to listen. And then you go back and you think, you know what? No. He told us what he was going to do. from the For the last three years, he's been laying it out. I just didn't want to listen. Here's my exhortation to you, church. Be careful. Be careful that you don't misread the Scripture or misunderstand his purpose for your life in order to frustrate you. Oh, I thought. You see, we'll put our faith and trust in what a man says. And we'll watch TV and go, well, I really believe that. And we'll base our life based on, a, on, a, on, a, on what a, a man says. And we'll misunderstand what God is really trying to tell us. And we call those religions. We call those, well, this. And we sort of gravitate to a very special, oh, I like this guy. He makes me laugh. He's a really good preacher. But is he telling me the truth? You see, a very sad t- statistic came out, and we know this that the majority of pastors these days believe that you can get to heaven simply by good works. And that's what they say. And they're telling their congregation, hey, don't worry about Jesus. That was, that's extra, that's bonus, but you can get to, and that's not the truth. But how would you live your life if you knew that getting to heaven was based upon your good works? You would do good works. But that's sort of, that's sort of like, that's, that's prison to me. Why? Because how many good works do I have to, where, where's the line? Where's the threshold? Like, am I one good work away from getting to heaven? Did I miss it? Ah! And, and I, would, I, I don't know. And that's why we see this. That's why it's not about good works. So the disciples were like, okay, Lord, wait, What? And as you recall, on the way, do you remember James and John's mom, right? They came up and said, hey, can my boys have seats of prominence, one on your right and one on your left, when you have your kingdom? And the Lord's like, 
you don't know what you asked, lady. I'm about to go to the cross. I'm about to go to the cross. You see, Jesus says, hey, listen, it's going to go down a different way. It's going to go down a different way. You go, what do you mean? Well, here's the purpose. Jesus will die on the cross so that we can be saved. Come on, somebody. Let me, let me. Jesus will die on the cross so we can be saved from eternal judgment and hell. You see, people don't like to talk about hell from the pulpit anymore, but it's a very real place. And my Jesus talked about that, and I don't want anybody to go there. Our mission, church, listen to me, our mission is to depopulate hell and populate heaven. And we do that by the way we live. We do that by the way we live, how we give, how we love. Is there mercy? Is there grace? Is there compassion? Because that's what people are longing for, and they need to see it real. Oh, sure, we can go to a conference or we can go to a big thing and somebody go, hey, you want to give your life to the Lord? Raise your hand and come up front. And we, oh, we're emotional when we come up. But, but to depopulate hell, I think the Lord is counting us to live an obedient life to him. Can I get an amen? amen? Let me tell you this. How many of you remember Gary Chapman's five love languages? Okay, the five love languages, right? I think God's love language is obedience. One of his love languages, if not the love language, is that he just wants us to obey out of love. Now, that's not mine. I stole it from the conference this weekend, but that's really good, is it not? <laughs> that was really good. I thought, I said, I'm going to use that. I'm going to use that because that really impacted me. God's love language is obedience. And when you have a love language for your significant other and you, and you, and, and, and they feel loved, whether it's physical touch and closeness or, or whatever it might be, right? I mean, the love language. I mean, when you feel loved, it's like, oh, it's the best, it's the next best thing. Well, I wonder if God goes, oh. And he's talking to the angels, like, did you see Francis? Did you see him? Ah, it, woo, I love that guy. I love that guy. And the angels are like, Wow, what did he do? He's obedient to my word. It's a love language. It's a love language. So Jesus is going to die so that we can be saved from eternal judgment and reconcile us back to him. But I want you to jot this down. He also wants to save us from ourselves. You go, save us from ourselves? Yeah, let's talk salvation. You guys ready? This is how it's going to change our life. Oftentimes, you'll see friends, neighbors, relatives, family, whatever it might be, they'll say, they'll, they'll get saved. And I use quotations. You go, why? Because they'll come forward, they'll raise their hand, they'll say, hey, I, I, I got saved. And so you and I, we do this. And we're going to watch them. We're going to watch, did you get saved? I'm, I'm watching. And you hope that they really get saved, that you see a change. Okay? And here's what we do. Did you get saved? And so they start carrying out a big Bible, right? Those big coffee table Bibles. So I'm saved. I'm saved now. Look. And then wherever, whenever they come to your house, they're just obnoxious talking about Jesus and say, yeah, they really got. But we watch them and we go, I don't think it took. And you ever, I don't think they're really saved because they're still the same. And they're still doing a lot of the same things they did. They're still out. I don't know, did they really get saved? And so we'll question that, won't we? But let's talk salvation. Let's talk salvation. Why? Because he, he saves us to change us, to save us from ourselves. How so? You ready? Every one of us in this room is human. Well, at least I hope you are. And we're made up of body, soul, and spirit. We're really a triune being. That's how you know God created us. Okay? When you are born again, born from above, okay, your spirit is made alive. Your spirit was born, it was dead when you were born. Your soul was alive, your, your body was alive, you came out as a little baby, and you grew up, but until you gave your life to Jesus, your spirit was not alive. You said yes to the Lord, you were born again, 
your spirit came alive. Now, here's what you need to understand. When our spirit is alive and we're born again, it influences our soul. You go, well, what's our soul? That is our mind. That is our emotions. Those are our thoughts. Those are our actions. This is our soul. This is who we are. This is why you say, man, my dog has a lot of soul. He's just, right? He's just, boom. He has great personality. He does this and, and so forth. But our spirit influences our emotions, our minds, our thoughts, but it also, which in turn, influences our behavior. You guys with me? So when you get saved, all of a sudden you want to serve, not because you have to, but that your spirit, the spirit of the Lord is inside you, and you go, oh, I I love Jesus, I, I want to do that. And so you start thinking, I want to do that, I need to do that, I want to do that. And then your body goes, okay, I guess we'll do that. And so there you are serving. There you are serving. People go, hey, why are you serving? Why are you doing this? I love Jesus. You see, it stems from what? From being born again. You guys understand. Okay? And so again, think about this. When a person gets saved, everything changes. Everything. First and foremost, you go, something is alive in me. And slowly, through progressive sanctification, Our mind, our thinking, our emotions, our actions, they begin to change. When somebody gets saved, we don't expect them to act as a mature believer right away because they still got a lot of baggage. They come in with suitcase, go, I'm saved. I don't know what to do with these. I'm saved. And the Lord says, you need to drop them. And slowly, we begin to take off our backpacks, we begin to drop our suitcases, but it's what? It's through time. So we have to we have to have some grace on brand new believers. They don't know any better. Let me put it a, let me put it a real simple way. They're still pooping their diapers. You get that, right? They still do. I have a 1-year-old grandson and I cannot expect him to be a mature believer. He's just you know, there he goes. What do you do most of the time with one-year-olds? No, don't touch that. Be careful. Get off the wall. Ah! But eventually they grow up. And they become y'all. <laughs> Guys, listen, listen. Obedience to the Lord includes the soul, the mind, the emotions, the thoughts, the actions, and it also includes the body. The body. Salvation in Christ should bring to us a discipline in our bodies for his service. If we can be honest in church when it comes to serving, a lot of us go, I don't want it. You want me to get up? And our body doesn't want to. Our flesh doesn't want to. But but this is where, where it changes. You go, yeah, I, 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 I need to do that. Now, salvation looks different in every person. It really does. And that's why he goes, well, do you think he's saved? That's, that's between him and the Lord. Was his spirit really? Amen. But he says, the fruit I can see. Oh, oh, yeah. You're working out your salvation through obedience. Okay? Here's what I can tell you. If you're truly born again, and this is so important. Why? Because I wouldn't want anybody to be on the fence teetering and hoping they're saved and, and we're so close to the Lord coming back. I want people to go, nope, I know. I know. And, and, and I'll tell you how I know because my life has changed. My thoughts have changed. My accents have changed. It used to be when I found $20 on the ground, I would just put that in my pocket and walk away. Now I'm like, hey, whose is this? And I want to return it. If somebody gives me too much change at the grocery store, oh, no, I don't want you to get in trouble. You could get fired. You gave me $80 too much. You see, life has changed. Thoughts have changed. Thoughts have changed. Salvation saves us 
from an eternal separation from God. But it also saves us, come on somebody, from a destructive behavior of our flesh. We don't go down the path of that destruction anymore, nor should we. You go, well, what should happen? Well, first of all, we have to take a step back. And I like what So says, we need to do a spiritual inventory. You need to check. Lord, am I really saved? Because I want to be. And even if you're a strong, mature believer, take a moment to go, Lord, where am I with you? Did, did, I, did, did we get our wires crossed for just a moment? Because I want to serve you. I want to love you with all of my heart. And I know the enemy's distracting and I know, but I know I'm saved. That's the point number one. The second thing we learn through our text is that number two, understanding, here it is, jot this down, understanding spiritual forces that oppose us. You've got to grasp this. Spiritual forces that oppose us. Look at verse three with me, guys, in your text as you're writing that down. It says, Then the chief priests and the scribes and the elders of the people assembled at the place of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and they plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. Guys, look what's going on here. You go, what's going on here? The enemies of Jesus are now having a secret meeting at the house of Caiaphas. Who's there? The chief priest, the scribes, the elders. This refers to the members of the Sanhedrin, the Jewish ruling body in Jerusalem. What's their meeting about? How are we going to trick Jesus? How are we going to kill him? And I'm like, Dude, seriously? What does it mean to by trickery? I want to know. Well, the word is dolos, D-O-L-O-S, and it means by decoy, by bait, by craftiness. You see, it was just a few weeks ago that I went on a fishing trip. And you know what I did? I hid that hook with a beautiful piece of bait. Ha! The fish never saw it coming. It was by trickery. How did you do that? Well, I crawled into the river, and I put on a worm, and I made that worm look so juicy that it hid the hook. I threw it into the water, and guess what? I caught a bunch of fish. It's by trickery, by bait. This is the same word. They're gathered together. Oh, how can we... Oh, how can we... So my question is, honestly, why? I often ask why. You go, why what, Ben? What did Jesus do to the Sanhedrin, the elders, that they want to kill him? What did they do? Well, number one, if you're taking note, he caused chaos in the realms of enemy territory. That's the first thing he did. He caused chaos. Whoa, 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 what's going on? Number two, he exposed the hypocrisy in the religious systems, don't you think? And also, too, he was the light of the world. And guess what light does? It exposes everything. Oh, you got to get this, church. you got to get this. Because if you're going, Lord, where am I with you? These are the same things that we, these are the same reasons many people won't give their lives to God. Why? Because, again, he's, he's exposing chaos in what they want to do, in their obedience, in their life. He exposes their hypocrisy to people. Well, you say you're a Christian, but you're really not. And then, most of all, he's the light of the world, and he, so he exposes what's really inside us. I think it's a good thing, because I get to see my heart and I can repent. This is one of the most important aspects of the Christian walk. Having a good understanding that there are evil forces that will attempt to oppose you and your walk. You understand that? Understanding it. Okay? Let me explain. When you make a commitment to be a fully devoted follower to Jesus, when you put your faith and trust in Him, at this point you have changed teams. You went from team darkness to team light. You guys with me? Now, 
understand that you're saved, but you're not saved to sit on the sidelines. You are saved to get in the game, to glorify God that all that you are and all that you say, so, so others who are in the dark, in team darkness, might say, oh, I want to go over to team light. So what happens? The enemy gets really, really mad, and he will do everything in his power to oppose you. How so? Jot this down. Compromising your walk. Compromising your walk. He will cause you to live a life of hypocrisy. You're saying one thing, but you're living completely opposite. And he'll comfort you in that. Oh, it's okay. It's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. Oh, you're under grace. You're under grace. Number two, he will discourage you in everyday living. Well, you have no purpose. Why are you here? You've made mistakes so far, and he'll discourage you. That's number two. Number three, he will often bring up your failures, both the past and the present. Well, you didn't do good here. You didn't do good there. You're horrible here. You're horrible there. I can't believe you made that choice. You did that? Can I say this to you, church, in, a, in, a, in, in just a transparency? I've made more mistakes as a Christian, more bad choices as a Christian than I ever did as an unbeliever. I own that. I own that. We, we make bad, and the enemy comes and goes, yeah, I, mean, I don't even know if you're saved. And I go, yeah, me too sometimes. And he'll bring up the failures. Number four, he will lie to you, and he will manipulate your thoughts. The word manipulate comes from an evil word, word, and he's going to manipulate your thoughts. And he often uses bait, craftiness, and trickery. That's what he wants to do. Listen, once you are saved, born again, filled with God himself, you are secure for eternal life. But you can often live a life of misery, a life that's shelved, discouraged, and depressed. What greater witness for the enemy than a defeated, born-again Christian? You go, whoa, 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 wait, what do you mean? Well, think about it. You're walking around, you're defeated, you're depressed, you're living a life of misery, and you go to people and you go, hey, I'm saved. Do you want to be saved too? And people are like, if that's saved, no. Are you kidding me? Well, you know, life's really hard. Man. You sure you don't want to be a Christian? We can have fun together. And we do that, don't we, church? Because we're so defeated. But if I understand that the enemy forces are trying to get me discouraged just like this, well, what should I do? Pastor, what should I do? First of all, have a good understanding of who you are in Christ. That you're already victorious. Okay? Have that good... But I don't just mean know it. Oh, yeah, I'm in Christ. Understand it completely. It's got to move you. And then have a good understanding of the good and the suffering in this life. Okay? Have a good understanding. You think it was, I mean, think about Job. When Job's life went just awry, do you remember that? You know what he said? He said, shall we only accept the blessings of God and not the sufferings? You see, because sometimes we come with Christianity and go, hey, if you give your life to the Lord, everything is going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to have everything you've ever wanted. You're going to have every... I mean, this is going to be so good. And you'll get the car that you've always wanted. You get the house that you wanted. You get all of this stuff. And then when it doesn't happen, we trip. Because we don't understand that there is suffering involved. That we, there is, there is stuff that we've got to go through so that we can grow. But if we understand that, we go, oh. And then understanding this. In your life, there's going to be spiritual attacks. You go, oh, oh. That's a spiritual attack. Okay. Rejoice in that. Oh, the enemy's coming after me? I must be doing something right. Okay. All right. It's hard to. I'll be honest. I'll be honest. 
when we understand this, church, it's a game changer. Third thing, third thing, okay? I want you to see this. Verses 6 through 13, jot this down. Ministry is more than just serving. Ministry is more than just serving. Let's look at verse 6. And when Jesus was in Bethany, the house of Simon the leper, a woman came having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as, she sat, as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were, they were indignant, saying, Why is this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and given to the poor, give the money given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble this woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in pouring the fragrant oil on my body, she did this for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whoever, whenever this gospel is preached to the whole world, that this, what this woman has done will also be a memorial to her. Now, I want you to note the scene. Matthew inserts the story to get our attention. John will give us a few more details, but I love Matthew. Okay, Matthew doesn't really name names. You understand that, right? He's like, yeah, the disciples were mad. The disciples were indignant. But John, John's a name namer. You understand that, okay? John's like, it was Judas. It was Judas. Watch. Look at, at John chapter 12, 1 through 5. He says, then, six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead, and there made him a supper. And Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denier and given to the poor? So Matthew just goes, Hey, the disciples were a little bit upset. They were indignant. And John's like, It's Judas! That's the dude right there. That's what he does. That's what he does. So what's going on in the house? Your attention, please. Martha's serving. Okay, understand that. She's in the, she's, she's cooking. Okay, she's cooking. There's, Jesus is giving a Bible study and there's people around his feet. Lazarus is there. They're at the table, right? And Martha's coming out. <gasps> and then she's, you know, the pots and pans in the kitchen. You guys understand that when your wife's cooking and, right, men? You understand that when your wife's cooking, she wants your help and she won't ask you? You should already know. <gasps> and then there's flour flying up in the air. And, and I mean, that's what's going on with Martha. Mary is wiping the feet, and here's what's happening. We learned that the oil was worth at least a year's wage. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? But here's what I want you to see. Here's what I want you to see. Because what was our text? Here, here it was. Ministry is more than just serving. Well, how so? Well, the first thing we need to understand, I don't know if you know this. You ready? Boom, 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 boom. You guys are called into the ministry. No, I'm not. No, you are. Let me tell you, Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12 says this. And I'm going to read from the New Living. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. He gave the gift to be apostle, a prophet, evangelist, pastors, and teachers. What's their responsibility? Verse 12, their responsibility is to equip God's people, come on somebody, to do his work and build up the church. My job is to equip you to do the ministry. My job is to equip you. The pastors are here to give you all the equipment you need to do the work of the ministry. Guess what? Newsflash, you guys are in the ministry. You're in the ministry. Well, I'm not a pastor. It didn't say full-time ministry, but we're in the ministry. Can we agree you're in the ministry? The second thing we need to grasp is ministry is more than just serving. Some of us go, well, I've, I've fulfilled my duty. I, I, I work in the children's ministry. That's enough to get me into heaven. Are you kidding me? <laughs> That's enough. I work children's ministry. Those guys... But here's what I want you to see. Serving is a good thing. But serving without worship, without prayer, without love and affection, without a true relationship, it becomes duty and not devotion. Come on, guys, this is good. I mean, I worked really hard on the plane on this. <laughs> serving God and loving his people. We must, as a body, have the same heart as Jesus. 
I don't want to serve just to go, okay, I serve. And I'm not hoping to get brownie points with God. You see, serving is more. And, and Mary could have come in the house and said, Martha, what do you need? Let me help you. I'll serve. Maybe I'll set the table. You know, Lazarus could have said, hey, listen, let me, let me cut the grass before Jesus comes. I've got it. I mean, that's the least I can do since I was dead. Now I'm alive. But they understand that, that, what, that ministry is worship first. Ministry is worship first. I'm praying. I have a love relationship with God. I have fellowship. I'm doing life with each other. I'm living. I'm crying. I'm celebrating and I'm mourning. Guys, listen to me. We're a body. Now, if you do these things, what's that? If you're praying and you're worshiping and have that affection and all this, guess what happens? Listen. Serving comes naturally with joy and laughter and peace. You see, it's one thing for us to gather today and go, hey, we're going to meet at the park at 5 o'clock, and then all of a sudden we're stressed out because we've got to get tables, we've got to do this, we've got to have that. Even if we don't have, even if you get a piece of meat between two hamburger buns, and we called that a hamburger, and somebody forgot the lettuce and the tomatoes, it's okay. Because we're worshiping together. and we're so, You see, we take that into the next level. I know I do. I know I do. Sometimes we get so busy wanting to make sure that, that church is run perfect that we go, and we miss the fellowship. But did you talk to so-and-so? Oh, no. I was too busy making sure that this was done and this was done and this was done. Those things are important. Don't get me wrong. But what's important is exactly what he says. Ministry is more than that. Now, let me give you the fourth thing. This is the fourth and final thing that will change our life. You ready? It's an important one. A compromised life affects everyone in striking distance. A compromised life affects everyone in striking distance. Let's look at verse 14 and 16. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? And they counted out 30 pieces of silver. So from that time, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now, i got to be honest with you, church. When I first read this, I wondered a little bit about Judas. You understand that? You go, what do you mean? Did Judas know, did he knew that his betrayal would ultimately kill his best friend? You know, it's one of those things where he goes, maybe I'll just try this. I don't know. Maybe he'll just go to prison. If he just goes to prison, that's okay. I'll get my 30 pieces of silver. I mean, I was just, just, I don't know. But I'm really conflicted because I like Jesus. I mean, I, I love Jesus. He's my friend. I mean, I wouldn't want any harm to him. But I wonder if he, I, I was thinking about this. Like, like, did Judas believe that he would get 30 pieces of silver and Jesus get a slap on the wrist? I'm going to get 30 pieces. They're going to say, Jesus, stop doing that, and it's all going to be good. But then I realized something. Do you remember what happened in the Last Supper? Satan entered into the heart of Judas. So I don't think he was thinking about that. You see, Judas walked with God for three years, and he never fully believed. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. Now you're judging, Ben, because you can't say that. How can I say this? Because the fruit of his life hadn't changed. He was still doing these things, but it hadn't changed. He didn't know enough to be converted or transformed. You see, his heart was still unregenerate. Therefore, Satan entered him to betray the Son of God. Now, let's bring it full circle. You ready? When we, everybody say we, when we compromise our walk, this is going to get good. Ready? Who are we willing to sacrifice? When we compromise our walk and your friends are watching. Now, now, now listen, I understand that we're not called to be perfect. I get that. You'll make mistakes. You'll make dumb choices. But what I'm talking about is that a living a life of hypocrisy like Judas did, 
We're sending a confusing message to those who don't know the Lord. We're sending a confusing... They go, wait a minute, guys, listen, and we're notorious for this. We have been, we have been in, in, in Lubbock, Texas almost 20 years. I can say that now. I've heard so many stories of people going... Yeah, you know, I went and I was partying with my friends and, 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 and they claim to be Christians and, and they go to this church and this church and we got drunk and I can't believe that. And, and I'm just like, or I'll hear, I'll hear a friend of mine going, yeah, this, her dad was a pastor and they were doing this and, and she was all over me and blah, blah. And I'm just like, and so we come to him and we go, hey, you want to give your life to the Lord? And they, <laughs> give my life to the Lord. I'm not sure what that means because and Judas, can you imagine? Can you imagine the Lord says, and I'm making this up because I'm going to stand over here. The Lord says, hey, let's, let's take a break. You guys go home for, for a little while. We'll, we'll, we'll meet up tomorrow and continue on in the mission, but go home. So Judas goes home to his family. Hey, Judas, what did you do today? All hung out with Jesus. Oh, yeah, I've been hearing about Jesus. Man, miracle. Were you there for the miracle? Yeah, I was there. Wow. What was that like? Oh, it was cool. I mean, it was, it was really weird to see. I mean, there was a bunch of, and, and, and we saw this one guy, this one dead guy, he was raised. You remember Lazarus? He lives up on the hill. Yeah, cool. And he goes, well, hey, like, Judas, what, like, can, can, do you think I can? You see, Judas is sending a mixed message because Judas goes, Hey, yeah, whatever it might be. Whatever it might be. A compromised walk. I think we can learn from that, church. I think we have to take active steps to go, Lord, I don't want to compromise. I, I know I've done it. I know I've done it. I know I've, I've, I've misrepresented God on several occasions. And I, oh, I hate it when I do that, but I have. And you have too. And it affects everybody. Because they go, wow. Listen, I don't want anybody to go, you know, I would have been a Christian, but the Christians I hung around with, they were hypocrites. They were saying one thing and living a completely different life. I don't want that. I'd rather be going to my friends going, I'm sorry for that, that was wrong. I, had, I know better, please forgive me. I'm sorry for that. I don't want to, I don't want to send the mixed message. I, I'm broken, help me. I love Jesus, but I'm, I'm working. I'm working. I'm working. Think about this. Three years, Judas was one of the twelve. And yes, he had flaws in his quirkiness. But the disciples thought Judas was one of them. Can you imagine in the garden when Judas comes with the, with the Romans? Can you imagine what they thought? And then Judas comes up and kisses Jesus on the cheek. And then, and then all, all hell breaks loose at that point. You guys know what happens. But can you imagine what they were talking about? I thought, I thought Jude was one of them. I thought he was one of us. I just had a conversation with him last night. We were talking about the ministry and how. And yet, John tells us that he was a thief. In John chapter 12, verse 6, he says, And he said that he had not cared for the poor, but he was a thief and had the money box, and he used to take what was put in it. What can we learn from Judas? Well, Jesus tells us in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, 14, and 16, it says, To the angel of the church of Laodicea is right, Let these say the amen, the faithful and true witness, in the beginning of the creation of God. He says, I know your works that you are neither hot, you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. What can we learn? Guys, is that the Lord is saying, don't be, don't be lukewarm. 
He says either be cold or hot. Don't be lukewarm. Don't, 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 don't compromise your walk. He says, that's the worst thing. I, I can work with you if you're cold. I can work with you if you claim not to be a Christian. I can work with that. I'll send people. I'll love you. I can work if you're hot. Man, you fired up for the Lord. Amen. Yeah, but I still stumble. I know, but you're hot for the Lord. I can work with that. But don't be lukewarm. He's calling us to be fully devoted followers of Jesus. Don't compromise when it comes to the Lord. Set up some non-negotiables in your life. I am not going to do that. I'm, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to stay focused on God. Surround yourself with people that are going to push you closer to the Lord, not pull you down. Surround yourself with people that challenge you in the Word of God. Hey, what is God saying to you this week? It's a good thing. It's a good thing when you're challenged because we're brothers and sisters. But if I surround myself, I find myself that I compromise. Let's not be hypocrites. Let's be fully devoted followers of God. Can I get an amen? As we close... Let me just recap them for you real quick, okay? Let the worship team have time to come up. Jesus died to save me from myself and eternal judgment, okay? That's what he died for. That changes my life. Number two, understanding spiritual forces that oppose me. I get that. If I'm going to be a follower of God, there's going to be some opposition, okay? We get that. Everybody get that? Understand that? Number three, ministry is more than serving. Ministry involves worship. How are you in the ministry? We worship first. Come on, someone. Okay? And last but not least, a compromised life affects everyone in striking distance. Lord, forgive us when we do that. Forgive us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you today for your word, Lord, and the truth in your word. Lord, you never, ever fail us. You teach us from your word, and we thank you. Father, my prayer is that everyone in this room would have a, and be in a right relationship with you. And Lord, today I pray that they would surrender their lives to you. Father, as the feast As Christians, as the imminent return of Jesus, you've told us to watch and be ready. And so we're praying for a mighty move of God's Holy Spirit. With every eye closed and every head bowed, I do want to give you a quick opportunity to say yes to Jesus. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to God or you have walked away from God this morning, and somebody invited you to church, and here you are, and, and through the Word of God, you felt the beautiful conviction of the Holy Spirit, and He's knocking on your heart right now to say yes, with, say yes to Him. Can I pray for you? You go, well, what do you mean? Well, in a moment, I'm going to ask you to lift up your hand. Nobody's going to see you, but God's going to see you. And by you lifting your hand, you're saying, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to surrender completely to Him. I, I don't want to play games. I don't want to play church anymore. I'm going to serve God. With every eye closed and every head bowed, how many of you would say this morning, Pastor, pray for me. I surrender completely to him. Would you just lift up your hand right now? It's between you and the Lord. I just want to pray for you. I want God to see your hand. You just need to be right with him. Would you do that right now? If you are not right, if you go, man, I'm afraid I might be left, Ben, would you just lift up your hand? Because I just want to pray for you. And if you're watching online, you can lift up your hand there too. God will see you. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you, Lord, and I thank you for this church. I pray you bless our time. Lord, I pray you bless our uh, afternoon outing as we learn to love and fellowship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.